Join us in this powerful episode where we delve deep into the heart of human connection and the warrior mindset as it pertains to trauma, PTSD, or individuals going through a very difficult time in their life. We welcome back Josh Mance, who is a warrior on a mission to change the paradigm. Josh is a Purple Heart recipient and a best-selling author of The Beauty of a Darker Soul. His story is powerful and transcendent. While deployed in Iraq, Josh was shot and killed by a sniper bullet. He flatlined for over 15 minutes. After a heroic effort by his medical staff, they were able to save him and bring him back to life. Now, Josh pushed through this with a warrior's mindset, and a few months later, he did the unprobable and returned to Iraq to fight next to his brothers. Now, what followed was a decade of long emotional struggle as he sought to find meaning in a second life. This is a very important conversation for everyone to hear. We dive deep into the beauty of the darker soul and extract key components that can easily be life-changing. Stand by. Welcome to the Man of War podcast, where we forge men into warriors and get them battle-ready for the game of life. Learn warrior hacks that strengthen your mindset, self-confidence, courage, and personal protection skills. Unlock a life that embodies a warrior spirit for dynamic success in life and in business. If you're joining us for the first time, you're tuning in to the one and only podcast that empowers you to achieve greatness by living the warrior lifestyle. Each show, we interview elite men from around the globe and delve deep into their mindset and daily rituals, uncovering their secrets to success. I'm Rafa Conde, founder and creator of the Man of War movement. Join me on this life-altering journey where we recharge your mind, body, and spirit. Rise and night, my brothers. Welcome back to the Man of War podcast. My name is Rafa Conde, and I am your host. First off, I want to extend a badass fucking thank you to all of my supporters. I got to tell you, you are doing an unbelievable job. We have landed, I don't even know how many subscribers and downloads here over the last 30 days because of you, because you are pushing the movement. I am so thankful and I am honored to have you on. For all of the newbies that are on board now with the Man of War movement, this podcast is about the warrior mindset and about the warrior lifestyle. This is how we roll. Absolutely no gray areas here, black and white and no bullshit. We are not a gimmicky, hey, do your best and you're going to be a multi-quabillionaire if you go out there and sell this or sell that and wake up earlier. That is not what we're about. Listening to the wrong show if you think that that's what we're about. We're about living a warrior lifestyle. We're about strengthening your mindset. We're about strengthening your confidence. We're about strengthening your courage. We're about building you from the ground up because once you achieve the balance of body, mind, and spirit, you're going to be successful in all aspects of your life. On another note, if you really enjoy the content that I give you here twice a week, please stop by iTunes and leave us a review. It is so meaningful for us because we will continue ranking higher based on those reviews on iTunes. And that's the way we're going to disseminate this information and this movement out to individuals that have not found out about us yet. And of course, as a reminder, stop by the Warrior Development Academy, forgingawarrior.com. That's forgingawarrior.com and see why hundreds of warrior-minded men are building themselves and transforming themselves through this unique online training program. You get two weeks for free 
and go check it out. You'll get the silver membership absolutely free again for two weeks. And finally, check out our new Instagram account, at Man of War with two R's. I'm there daily. We're going to interact and kick it up a notch there. All right, let's get right into the show. Josh, welcome back to the Man of War podcast. My brother, my friend, man, it is a pleasure to have you on. Hey, Rafa, it's great to be here, man. It's always good being on your show. Man, today I talk to a best-selling author. <laughs> Last time that I had you on, brother, it was, a, you know, you were a little nervous about what was going to happen, and man, you have freaking struck it. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, man, it, it's, uh, the response of this book since it's went live January 1st, it's just been humbling. You know, we've had people all across the world reaching out, and, and uh, you know, kind of as we were talking before the show, I, I was really nervous uh, getting this book out. Uh, partially because it's so vulnerable, um, but you know more so because it's if if I write a book on business and screw it up, somebody might make a bad business decision. But if we write a book on emotional trauma and screw it up, it, it, it could be damaging to people, you know. And I have thrown this manuscript in the trash twenty times over, and and just fought and fought and fought to get it right uh, as much as we could. And uh, just the feedback that I've been getting across the board, uh, people from every walk of life, it's just been universal. And, and uh, you know, they're not just saying like great book, but they're writing dissertations on how it applies to their own lives. And, and, and that was the ultimate goal of this thing is to, to help give people a vehicle uh, to recognize and validate the, the true source of their emotional pain and, and start to understand the truth behind what trauma really is. Fucking great, man. Love it. Love it. And uh, <clears throat> let, let's give the name. Go ahead and give me the title of the book so our listeners could, because we're going to talk about it. We're going to dig deep today. We're going to talk about not only what's in the book itself, but we're going to talk about what it took to write this book and to put your emotions on paper, man. <laughs> yeah, so the title is uh, very intentional. Um, it's, it's a paradox and it's, it's called the beauty of a darker soul, uh, overcoming trauma through the power of human connection. And it's, it's really a journey of finding beauty within the darkest moments of our lives and, and using them, uh, in order to transform and make us stronger. Love it. Love it. That's a, that's a very powerful, uh, title. So let's get into the book here. All right. Now for, those that want to know exactly what happened and kind of dig deep into Josh's, you know, um, background, you'll have to go back to our episode log. I believe it was episode 13 and, uh, it was definitely, uh, an episode that was badass. You got to listen to it, go check it out. But what we're going to do in this show today, we're going to dig deep into the book. Yeah, we're going to talk about his near-death experience and all that. But I want you guys to start getting and absorbing what Josh has really done here. He's changing the paradigm big time. All right, Josh. So what we're going to do here is this. The context of the book, the meat of the book, what is this beauty of a darker soul about? So, you know, all of us experience suffering in our lives in, in varying degrees. 
um, especially within the first responder community, right? Which is which is your audience base. Um, the challenge is, as, as you know, when when we're in those moments, when we're experiencing those deep, dark emotional voids, uh, it can be very, very difficult to believe that hope is around the corner, right? To believe that we can actually uh, transcend through those experiences. And uh, the the overarching intent of this book is to is to help people do just that uh, by by taking them on a, a journey um, that that does apply some of my military experiences, but it's it's a book that I believe can resonate with anyone. Um, and, and you know, I've I've found over the years that uh, and myself included here that the the. the the deep moral, ethical, spiritual wounds that are, are inherent to traumatic experiences are not very well understood. Uh, very rarely are they addressed, uh, yet I believe they're the root cause of, of everything. Um, that being said, they're, they're really hard to put into words, right? And a lot of us, <clears throat> a lot of us don't have the vocabulary or the vernacular to be able to describe uh, the depths of what we're feeling, right? And, 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 and as you well know, right, you've got to be able to see your enemy before you can destroy it. And, and, and the intent of this is to help give people the vocabulary to be able to uh, discuss these experiences and shed light on them, identify the root cause of those demons so that we can start to overcome them. That's deep, man. That's, that's very deep. Now, are, are, is this book geared to a specific person? Trauma doesn't discriminate, um, and, and and it's 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 universal. You know, th- things like shame and guilt and powerlessness and betrayal, uh, th- they are universal emotions. And the 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 challenging part of of writing this book is, you know, because of the universality of trauma. Uh, I, I really believe that, that this was an opportunity to uh, hit any audience, hit any reader. Uh, so, so, so it's really geared towards everyone picking it up. Uh, and, and, the, and the book was written for you. Very good. Very good. So for our listeners, you know, you don't have to be a first responder. You don't have to be a military guy. I mean, this is anyone that's going through some type of trauma in their life. And, uh, you know, pick it up, read it. And, and even I'm a big believer that you don't necessarily have to be going through shit just to pick up something that is valuable, something that is important for you to learn. Because you know what? In your life, most of the time, I tell you right now, you're going to run into people that are in trauma, people that need this. So it's easy for you to look back, refer to this book or Man, for the for for lack of a better word, share it, man. Right, give it to people. That that's share your love, man. So, you know, we go back here, and you know, in, in, the, in the meat of this book, what started you? I mean, what initiated you putting pen to paper? I mean, let our listeners know exactly what you went through here, little by little, to put this on paper, and you know how you got to the, especially the end part of this book, which is supposed to be very, very powerful. Um, talk to, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, the, the thing is that, <clears throat> you know, and you guys know kind of the, a little bit about the near death experience and uh, quick, 
recap being that you know I was I was shot and killed by a sniper back in 2007 and died for 15 minutes and got brought back to life and uh, remember the whole thing you know and, and you know over the years I've had many people uh, people who knew what they were doing inside the publishing industry and whatnot who were really pushing me to write a book um, on that experience and and I could have right the 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 near death thing is is extremely powerful. It's an important part of the book, um, but it's not the whole book, you know. And I, I I never wanted to write a book just about a war story. Um, I I wanted to be able to leverage that experience to to hopefully, um, you know, make a positive difference in the lives of others and and give people an opportunity to to look at this through their own lens. Um, you know, and, the, and the, the best the best advice that I've ever gotten on, on writing a book, um, you know, the, the person said, Josh, don't write a book because you want to write a book. Write a book because you feel like you have to. And, uh, you know, o- over the years, I, I did reach this point where the 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 depth of my message uh, when I was on stage was uh, getting a lot deeper um, it, it, and it, it was really that point in time where, you know, initially I was surviving so much off of the hardcore sprinting on the ground, real world experience, right. Which is so important, but I, I knew that I needed to, uh, make the attempt to write this book in order to sharpen that sword, to hone the craft, uh, to do the deep, deep introspective work needed to understand this even more. Uh, not sure. only for myself, but for it, 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 it express it in a way that other people could look at it through their own lens. Um, so, so that's the point I reached about three years ago. And, and you know, the, the beauty of a darker soul is the result right now. So getting into the book here and, you know, getting a feel for what people can expect when they sit down and they, they read this book, I mean, Talk to me a little bit about how, you know, how this flows and how you get into your, you know, near-death experience. I mean, I know we talked about the first few chapters. Um, you know, what do you cover in those chapters? Give me kind of like an overview. Well, in, in, the, in the beginning, it, it, it sets the stage for that near-death experience by kind of taking you through, um, you know, basically how I was raised in high school by law enforcement first responders and, and military personnel and, and kind of the impact they had on me. Um, and, and then it, it, you know, it goes into a little bit about West Point, uh, which is where I went to school. Um, and really starts to, it starts to plant the seeds for, uh, what shame is, what guilt is early on, uh, even though you might not be able to recognize it right away. That's intentional. You know, 9-11, for example, happened my freshman year at West Point. And uh, the hardest thing that I that I had to do at West Point was stay at West Point and not resign. Just a quick break in the action. I want to encourage you to go grab your free manual titled Strengthening Your Warrior Spirit. It is a manual that I put together, some great stuff in there, setting you on your path to living a warrior lifestyle, a bunch of great strategies that you could implement and integrate into your life right now. Forgingawarrior.com 
forward slash manual. And if you have not done so already, go check out our documentary. It's about brotherhood. It's about inspiration. You're going to love it at forgingawarrior.com forward slash warrior film. Now back to the show. Um, you know, every single day, uh, I want to do nothing more than to drop out of the academy and go downrange with the team. Um, every couple of weeks, they'd announce uh, the death of another recently graduated cadet who was killed in combat. And the, the level of guilt that that induces is, is just extreme. You know, it, it's, I, I got a call in my, my senior year when I was writing a history report that one of my best friends from high school was killed, you know, an infantry guy who he, he, he got hit by a piece of shrapnel and bled out, you know? So, so when, when we talk about the complexities of what guilt is like, it's, it starts with things like that, things that we don't necessarily um, acknowledge or, or things that might not seem traumatic on the surface, but it certainly uh, kind of flips our, our internal paradigm around about the way the world should work which is really what trauma is all about. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it, it goes through that and, and then it, uh, it, it, it kind of goes through a very different side of combat and starts to highlight the, the complexities of the modern operating environment, uh, which is very similar, very similar to police work. Um, you know, the, the, the counterinsurgency environment <clears throat> is considered to be the graduate level of warfare because of its complexity. And, and the book really starts to bring out some of the whys behind that and, and looks at it through a very human lens. Um, you know, and then the, kind of the, the center point of the book is the near-death experience and everything surrounding that, which which is pretty profound in its own way. Uh, but the second half of the book, that's where it gets real. And, and, you know, that was the most challenging part of the book to write because it that's what goes into the, the, the deep, deep emotional aspects uh, that were surrounding all of this. Uh, all right. So, so let's, let's go right in. Let's start digging right there. Um, physical recovery. Talk to me about that and your mindset going into that physical recovery and, you know, getting through. The, the beautiful part is that, you know, you went back, you know, you went back after there. So, so that means that your mindset had to be so fucking strong, man. So talk to me. Well, you, you, you think, right. And, and in many respects, very true. Um, you know, I was back in bag. I volunteered to go back to Baghdad four and a half months after this injury and made it back successfully. Um, and you know, if I stopped there, it would sound pretty heroic. Um, but that's, that's really just the beginning um, you know, initially I was, I was driven to go back to Baghdad so fast. I, I thought, uh, one, because of what I mentioned earlier, you know, my, my team still being downrange, right. And, and in harm's way, it, it wasn't like every minute on that evacuation flight was a minute closer to home. It was a minute farther away from them, you know, and especially in the military and first responder professions, right? Like, this this audience understands what sacrifice and selflessness truly mean, you know, and and that overrides anything that could happen to ourselves individually. So I don't care how bad my injury was, right? It had nothing to do with that. It's it's like if I had even the most 
minute window to make it back to Baghdad, it was going to happen. You know, and, and to do that, you know, I was laying in my hospital bed, pulling staples out of my leg with a Gerber. You know, I, I was, <laughs> I was like, no joke. I, I, <laughs> I was lying. I was pulling stuff out of my medical records. Like I was stopping at nothing to get back to my team. And, and, and you know, it, it was, it was worth it, right? It, the, 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 the impact that that had on their morale was just through the roof. Uh, they needed leadership. They needed that morale boost. Uh, maybe even more significantly, I got to meet the medical team, the trauma team who saved my life and, and thank them in person, in the flesh and blood for pulling off this miracle. Like who pulls up, who's, who pulls a dead guy back for 15 minutes, you know? And, and it's just to learn about their efforts and what they did that day to actually make that happen. What was just mind blowing. Unbelievable. Mind, yep. You know, but so let, let me, let me stop you right there real quick. So when you met them, I mean, what was your mindset like? What was, I mean, you must have been driven with big time emotions. Huh? These guys worked and worked and worked and technically they, they, they brought you back. They, they did, man. I, I was, uh, and I'll tell you, sometimes the best part of, you know, getting this book out is, is details continue to emerge to this day. And I, I, I had one of the medics on that team reach out to me who I hadn't been in touch with for years and he filled me in on a little bit more of just how heroic their efforts were. Um, very emotional conversation, but you know, I, just one of the, I mean, so many things happened that day, like the defibrillator paddles that they used to shock me back to life. Uh, they literally arrived at the base that morning Damn. and, they, and you know, they, they had to take them out of the plastic to use them on me. Right. And now we're just talking about a very rogue you know, what they call a level two care facility in the sure. middle of Baghdad, right? So very rudimentary life-saving equipment. And and believe it or not, I was there, I found out like just, just last week that I was their first cardiac patient, Damn. right? So, so there's, there's a, um, there's a difference between a patient who is just trauma, right? Which they saw plenty of, they, you know, they treated over 350 trauma cases in that deployment alone that were just as severe as mine. Um, so, so you have just trauma, which is one thing you have just cardiac, which is one thing, but when you have trauma and cardiac combined, it's, it's like the ultimate level of complexity for a trauma team. Right. And, and they were faced with just the most rudimentary equipment. Uh, I was, I was on a cot, right? I was literally on a cot. That was the operating base. Holy shit. <laughs> and, yeah. And they, they, the, the cot, the situation was so urgent that they didn't have time to adjust the height of the cot. And the only person capable of doing CPR on me uh, was a six foot five, six foot six at the time, private first class, former football player who weighed about 250, 260. Wow. Right. And, and he had to stand on top of an MRE box in order wow. to do CPR on me for a full 15 minutes straight. Like, if anyone's ever done CPR live, like it's, it's well known that you, I don't care what shape you're in, like you'll be exhausted at three minutes, right? If you're doing it right. And this kid kept going for 15 minutes. He told me he was just pouring sweat, right? It, it was just this, I, I, I get chills when I think about this, you know? And, and I, <laughs> so, so when I went back to Baghdad a couple months later, like I, I, one, the, the team had my medical records hanging on their wall because they were so proud of what they pulled off. Wow. But I, I, I asked the surgeon, you know, the, in charge of the team, I was like, I asked him one question. 
You know, what prompted you to keep going? Well, you know, when, when the medical standard for calling it on a patient is about six minutes, right? That, that's when most physicians will call it because that's when serious brain damage sets in and it's almost irreversible. What, what prompted you to go for 15 minutes? And, and without hesitating, he gave me a three-word response. We never quit. <laughs> Damn, you got to love it. So it, it's it's like just this amazing thing, right? That that, that uh, so many positive aspects uh, about going back, but the truth is, uh, there there is a much darker side to that. You know, that's easy, that's that's the easy stuff to talk about. Um, the darker side was that uh, you know you'll, you'll you'll hear me keep bringing up the word guilt here, uh, which is just so complex and. But guilt was the driving force behind everything. And um, I didn't know this for nearly a decade afterwards. But, you know, when when I was in the hospital, you know, I completely, completely negated the impact that this had on my family. You know, my my mother literally got the phone call that said I was not going to make it through the night. Get on a plane. That has to be tough on a parent, man. You know, and, and... um, just her, my family sitting with me through the hospital, you know, every night, I, surgery after surgery, you know, it was, it was just, it, it, trauma never just affects the individual, right? It affects everyone surrounding us. And, um, as close as I was with my family, I, I couldn't even see it. I was in, I was in such a state of mind that, that I was going to stop at nothing to get back to my team. Right. And, and the question I ultimately had to begin to ask myself years later is, is, was I really just going back for my team or was there something greater that was driving that, you know, and, and, and the answer rests with guilt, uh, survivor's guilt, right? We, 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 we've all heard of that term. Uh, but what I have uncovered over the last decade is that survivor's guilt is, is much more complex than what we think it is on the surface you know, most of us will will assume that survivor's guilt means, uh, you know, someone else died and I lived, right? When sure, we were on that, a- that's the common understanding even that I have. Yep. But think of it this way. Think think of it in in uh, think of it in a little more depth here. And here's here's what I mean. Like, and and certainly, you know, the same bullet that hit me first killed my senior non commissioned officer. You know, it, it it severed his aorta. It severed my femoral. Um, you know, just, um, you know, and we lost Marlon Harper. Uh, so here's a case where I, I lived and he died and, and certainly there's an aspect to that, but to me, it was never like the whole picture. It, it just didn't make sense that it was, it was that, you know, I, 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 I knew for example, that something like that could happen. Like all of us in this community know that 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 something like that could happen any day you know to you or me right and everything that we did that day was as tactically sound as it could have been um, and i also think that it actually helped that i died with him uh even though i got brought back so although most people in my life pointed to this near-death experience as being the holy realm of trauma it took me almost a decade to realize that it was everything before and everything afterwards that was much harder to navigate emotionally. Um, for example, when I was at Walter Reed Hospital recovering, 
you know, physically the care that I received there was the best in the world. Uh, nowhere else that I'd rather be. But emotionally, it's a very difficult place to be. You know, you're, you're, you're surrounded by the, the worst of the worst injuries you can think of, amputees, burn victims, you know, people that are not going to make a full recovery. And, and, and I was the one of the only people in that entire hospital, as bad as my injury was, it was all muscular. And I was one of the only ones that was expected to make a full recovery. And, uh, you know, I remember walking around a corner one day and seeing this beautiful, young, blonde girl in her early 20s pushing around her new double amputee fiance in a wheelchair. And it, it, it's, it's like that image just riveted me. And um, the guilt that I was experiencing, even though I didn't know this at the time, right, the guilt that I was experiencing was a guilt in my ability to heal when others couldn't, coupled with the guilt of not being with my team downrange. Now, it may seem like I'm splitting hairs there, but when it comes to integrating traumatic experiences into our lives, when it comes to really overcoming them, making that distinction is crucial, right? Guilt and shame, they, they, they infect the darkest corners of your soul like they're a form of cancer without you even knowing it. And, and, and you know, at the beginning, you might be at stage one, right? But before long, you end up at stage four and you're in crisis and you have no idea why. Right. This this book is the attempt to help people uncover what's happening at stage one. Right. Because it, 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 guilt does have a weakness. Shame has a weakness. It begins with shedding light upon it. It begins with exploiting it um, by, by bringing it out into the open. Once that happens, it starts to collapse. Josh, I want to I want to back up here for a second. I want to talk a little bit about guilt and I want to kind of dig deeper into guilt. So you, you what you're saying here is basically that. Sometimes we don't even know that we are feeling these, you know, these guilty feelings. You know, we're not we're not really in the flow with what we're feeling. And it could be guilt. How do we recognize that, you know, these are guilty feelings that we're having? We know it begins with uh, conversations like this. Right. This this kind of thing is is. Is, is so complex that I think it's often overlooked and not discussed, right? It's, it's much easier to point to a uh, near-death experience, for example, where Marlon died and I lived, or, or, it's, or it's easy to point to an experience uh, where, you know, two police officers on patrol, one dies and the other lives, right? And, and certainly, certainly, there's, 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 those things are profound, right? But there's much more to guilt than that. You know, how many times have you been on patrol, right? And, and you, you, you walk through the, the front door of a domestic dispute and, and, you know, you see a kid there that is, is abused and neglected and, and you know you can't do anything about it legally, yep. right? Even though you're sworn to protect and defend those people, yep. right? And that, that's the kind of thing that happens in law enforcement, military communities, especially law enforcement, you know, almost daily, you know, so so it's it's there, there's there's a guilt in um, and it's it's such a paradox. Right. But because it, 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 it's almost indirect, it's almost a direct result of our selflessness. Right. It's a direct result of our desire to serve. Sure. I mean, it yeah. makes sense, man. I mean, what you're, you're really 
I mean, it, it's a very deep, deep feeling that you, I mean, you got to understand it. And I think, you know, you make a great point here where you're saying that support cast conversations, people that you can open up to, I mean, are, are I mean, it has to be a crucial part of this. I know that just to give you a quick glimpse, you know, in, in one of my shootings uh, that I want a shooting involved um, incident, you know, the typical agency thing is they throw you in front of a psychologist and you want to talk about it. And, but it's different, man, because, you know, you don't feel comfortable talking to a psychologist that your agency hired. You don't want to say the wrong thing because they might not put you back on duty. And it's just a real discombobbled system. I think that really having individuals that are, you know, totally, you know, unbiased and there to help you and to kind of guide you and to, to open up. I mean, I don't know. I think that's crucial. That's my two cents. Well, brother, you're, you're right on. I mean, that, that is, um, that's a significant barrier. The, the, you know, I've worked now, now let me preface this very clearly and, and say that, um, I have had, uh, therapists and psychologists in my life, uh, who have made a profound difference on, on me and my perspective, right? Wh whether I was working with them, like, most of the time I was just working with them like professionally, you know, like th throughout the speaking circuit. But, uh, and, and, and some of those folks like have, have made just an incredible impact on me. That being said, I have worked on both the military side and the private sector side within the behavioral health community. And like, we are missing the mark when it comes to trauma treatment right when when it comes to resolving emotional trauma and 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 many of the times what most people tend to focus on are what's called the arousal symptoms of post-traumatic stress or what i call the post-trauma state right what is an arousal system those are things like anxiety nightmares night sweats being jumpy at loud noises right all, all the things that we can kind of see and feel and and, and are, are more obvious on the surface and, you know, I never experienced any of those. <laughs> you know, many of the people that I've worked with never experienced any of those or very limited. Interesting. Right. Yet we wonder why, you know, the, the suicide rate continues, why this depression rate continues, why the divorce rate continues. Right. And that is because we are not looking at trauma through the context of the moral, ethical, spiritual wounds that, that, that are inherent to them, right? This is the shame, the guilt, the powerlessness, the betrayal. And, and, and let's be clear on what I mean by moral, right? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm very careful now uh, on, on using this word, but you know, moral in this context does not it, it doesn't mean, right, that, that you've committed some kind of atrocity, right? That you've done something wrong. What, what, what I mean, I, I mean, that can be part of it, but it's, it's a small component. What, what I do mean is, is moral in the sense that what I believe personally is right or wrong, good or bad. Ethically, what the larger group or larger society believes is right or wrong, good or bad, and reconciling the difference between the two. You know? Makes sense. That, 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 that carries a lot more depth with it. You know, like, for example... Um, there were times in Baghdad where, you know, and, and you know this very well, like one of the paradoxes of the modern operating environment, right? One of the paradoxes of police work, uh, 
sometimes the best weapons do not shoot. That's right. right. Yep. Um, sometimes the best reaction is no reaction. Very you true. Know? And, and it's, it's, it, you know, how many times are you in these moral ethical dilemmas on patrol where, you know, you, you know, you could take direct action, uh, which would protect yourself and protect the lives of your team. But at the same time, it could put the people that you're sworn to protect in more danger, right? <laughs> so sure. there, there's there's these constant battles that happen. I mean, it's internal spiritual warfare. Totally. Right? And, and, you know, I, I'll tell you, some of the decisions that still haunt me the most to this day, um, you know, when I was in Baghdad, nothing ever resulted from them that, that was bad or wrong. But the capacity of it was there. The potentiality of it was there. You know, there were times where I had to put the lives of my entire team on the line to to travel five miles down a road filled with roadside bombs just to meet with a school principal and hand out school supplies to the kids. You know, like literally putting putting the lives of my team on the line for a T-shirt sometimes. Sure. And, And strategically, that's incredibly important when it comes to building trust and building relationships with the population thinking five years ahead, we know that developing those relationships is what's going to keep all of us safer in the long run. But what happens when some of our people die because of it in the moment? Was it really worth it? You know, and and, and those are the seeds that can start to plant inside of our minds that, that can really, really be destructive. You know, <laughs> so look, man, hindsight does not equal foresight. <laughs> Amen to that. Right? No and, doubt. And, so let's know. let's get into Josh, let's get into your physical recovery, man. I I want to know your mindset and I want to know how you overcame death. <laughs> yeah. So and I'll tell you, I I I woke up after getting shot, you know, I woke up 2 days later uh, in, in the green zone at that point to, to learn that I had died for 15 minutes, uh, received nearly 30 units of blood to save my life. Uh, but miraculously, because I had no trace of brain damage, um, they started the medical evacuation process back to the States right away. Um, and, and, you know, I might've stayed in intensive care, went through a couple more surgeries for maybe three, four weeks. And, that that's when it started to set in. I mean, I recognize, I, I'll tell you this. I, I had, um, the first question that I asked to the di- to the surgeon back at, <laughs> at Walter Reed was when can I get back to my team? All right. This is about, about two weeks in. That's a warrior minded man right there. There you go. <laughs> right. I was like, when can I get back? And, and he, he looked at me and he smiled, right? Big, big mistake. Looked at me and he smiled and he said, buddy, you're not going anywhere for a long time. <laughs> And I just, I looked, I looked back and I smiled back and I said, okay, you know, and, and, and from that point forward, I was dead set on getting back. So, you know, I, I, I started by limping my way around on crutches, limping my way around on wheelchairs, pushing it as hard as I could, you know, and then, then that turned into limping around the track, right? By by the time I convinced the surgeon that I was okay to go back, which I only kind of got like a half permission. That's a whole nother story. Um, but I, I was able to get at least cleared from Walter Reed and kind of go to the next phase, uh, which was in Fort Hood, Texas, uh, where, where I'd have to go through like 
one final medical evaluation before I got before I got cleared to go back to Baghdad. But even you know the surgeon at Walter Reed was asking me like, well, are you running? Are you physically okay? I was like, yeah, I'm running. I'm good. I'm back to my old time, dude. I was I was I was limping around the track like I was 80 years old. <laughs> you know? um, so stretch of the truth to say the least. But you know we, we got back to Fort Hood, Texas, and. Um, you know, right before then, the other way that I did this is, um, about halfway through my time at Walter Reed, two months in or so, um, I had the opportunity to go home to Pennsylvania for about a month. Uh, and they allow that to happen for convalescent leave because the idea is you'll heal faster with your family. Um, and being out of the stressful environment of the hospital. Uh, so I, 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 Took it to the Appalachian Mountains, man. I, wow. I would, I'd just walk up and down the mountains until I got, you know, trained every day. It just did whatever I could. Sure. Uh, the tricky part, though, was I, I thought I'd be good when I got cleared from Walter Reed. The tricky part was at Fort Hood, Texas. Um, you know, you, you have to go through this pretty robust medical screening before you get cleared to deploy. And, um, I kind of mentioned this in the book. One, I had to—I was supposed to pass a physical fitness test, but was able to uh, finagle my way out of that one. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. And, <laughs> and the uh, the second part is I had to go through this uh, this like mass medical verification where I, I had to—you know—you're in this big line and you have to see this physician's assistant, and they go through your entire medical records, right? And, I, and mine were as thick as an encyclopedia by this point. So I, I, I got up to the PA and I, I handed him my records and she looked at me and, and, and just said, there's no way I'm letting you go back. And I, and I was like, what do you mean? You have to let me go back, right? Walter Reed cleared me. You know, what are you talking about? And here, here my life is just falling apart, right? I, I am devastated that I, I get to the final step in this process and, and this person is telling me that I can't go back. So I shifted out of the line and I kind of assessed the situation. I assessed the environment and I realized that there was, there was about four separate lines that were all doing the same thing, all with a separate physician's assistant. But most importantly, I realized that they weren't going off of computer records. They were going off of the hand printed records that were in the hands of the soldier. So I pulled everything out of my medical records that pertained to the injury. <laughs> I shoved it in my pocket. I got back in a different line and sailed right through. Damn. And, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I was on a, I was on a plane two days later to get back. Well, so, so you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, it, that, it takes a lot, man. So when you were in Baghdad, when you went back and you actually, how long, what, what was your time frame back overseas? So it wasn't that long. Um, maybe about four or five months. We, we, we were on a, in total, we were on a 15 month deployment. Um, so, you know, that's why I was able to get back. But I, I spent about, I spent about four or five months there. I think by the time we went back in February. Got it. So when you were there in Baghdad, I mean, how did you feel? I mean, was it were you depressed? Were you guilty? Uh, did it kind of carry? You know, you carry the weight on your shoulders. So this is this is where it uh, gets really interesting and deep, um, and and what I'm about to talk about here, to 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 be clear, um, what was was not clear to me until probably eight nine years later. 
looking back on it retrospectively, you know, there's there's a there's almost a duality that that happened when I went back there. One is it was incredibly inspirational being around my team and you're you're living off of their energy, right? Um, but in the same breath, there was there was something much deeper that was happening um, internally that I, I didn't understand fully at the time. <clears throat> and, you know, part of that was, I, I, this is this is where the seeds began to plant, you know. Um, addiction, addiction comes in many shapes and forms, as does trauma, right? Addiction isn't just drugs or alcohol, right? It's, it's sex, it's gambling, it's work, right? Working yourselves in the ground, right? Why do we turn to addictions? We turn to addictions, because they are a way to allow us to feel something in the moment, right? They're a way to allow us to suppress the dark voids that we are experiencing, but we don't understand or even recognize are there. And um, I started then, uh, without knowing it, to work myself into the ground, right? It, it, it began to shield. I mean, 72, 96 hours straight, no sleep. Like, I remember just like, you know, walking through the mess hall and throwing my entire tray in the in the trash can and not even knowing I did it. You know, <laughs> my, my buddies are like pulling it back out for me. You know, there's there's just I, I was running at this insatiable pace um, that that wasn't sustainable and was dangerous. Um, but it, it's it, it it became this inadvertent suppressing mechanism, sure. right? Mm-hmm. That that kind of carried forward even long after that um you know as you know when uh, about a year and a half after that deployment ended i was being pulled up to be on the national speaking circuit right the 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 idea behind that at the time was you know the the military as a whole uh back in 2009 especially and and still today was facing a huge problem with stigma surrounding seeking help within the behavioral health industry. And um, my objective initially was to use this near-death experience right, sure. to kind of capture people's attention right. and then drive home the real message of reducing stigma, encouraging people to get help. Uh, hundreds of talks into that in the span of about a year and a half, two years, I found myself, again, without knowing it, Uh, And with all the best of intentions, hiding behind the shield of my own story. Well, you know, it it, it was it was a story that was so captivating and powerful to people. And, and, you know, they they, (laughs) it it was it was definitely making a positive difference. You know, every time I went out, but I I reached this point where I, I I lost myself. You know, I, I I didn't feel like I was making an impact. I felt like a fraud uh, on stage half the time, you know, and, and and it was what's even more bizarre is during that time, I, I was, you know, I was all over the country, all over the world. I was speaking at some of the biggest behavioral health conferences out there. I was surrounded by some of the best clinicians in the country. I was on CNN and Fox and Oprah and BBC and all that stuff. Right. Right. Yet, right. I still failed to recognize the deeper symptoms within myself. And, and that's when I found myself in the first suicidal spiral, 
standing in a corner of a hotel room in Washington, D.C., not having a clue who I was anymore. You know, I mean, think about the irony of that. You know, here I was, this national testament to resilience, right, that, that people looked up to and, and all this stuff. Yet, yet <laughs> internally I was collapsing and didn't know it uh, until I was in stage four, right? And it, it wasn't until that moment that I started to see and uncover the truth behind trauma. And, you know, this is where I realized, okay, you know, all of the language surrounding what post-traumatic stress is and what the post-trauma state is, usually that was presented on PowerPoint slides in bullet point format that said, yes, if you see someone experiencing anxiety or jumpiness or irritability, right, tell them to go <laughs> seek help. Right? Yep, it's ridiculous. Yep, yep. It's ridiculous. Not once was the term guilt used, shame used, powerlessness, betrayal, all the things that are inherent to this profession, right? All of the, the, the depth. So I realized at that point that we are not getting to the right level of depth. And that's quite possibly the crux of all of this. Um, a lot of dangerous, uh, a very dangerous journey, right, happened in the years following that. Uh, that, that, you know, stemming from failed relationships to divorce, to working myself in the ground even more, to more suicidal spirals, each getting progressively work every time, right? But it was navigating through all of that that ultimately gave me the perspective that I have now, right, to, 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 to help people, as we talked about on your last show, to hopefully help people suffer more productively through their lives. That's beautiful. I, that's right? That's perfect, man. Um, do you, I mean, we all know that law enforcement has, you know, a very, very high suicide rate. I've had multiple friends, you know, take their lives and it, it's, it's definitely been difficult, no doubt about it. But my question to you here is this, I mean, is it, you know, stepping out from the first responder world and the military world, I mean, I also see it out there with individuals, you know, financially, uh, when we had a big, you know, big time there with the real estate market collapsing, people losing their homes, bankruptcy. I mean, the, I saw a tremendous, tremendous, um, trauma and pain and they lost everything. You know, is your book geared for those individuals also that have gone through these traumatic events in their lives? Yes. Yes, and, and, and you're right on there, man. You're, you're hitting a, a crucial point. You know, and just to reinforce again, trauma does not discriminate, right? And, and when we look at them through the lens of guilt, shame, powerlessness, betrayal, uh, we can find commonalities between each other that go far past our superficial differences or our career fields. Um, you know, it is human nature. Uh, I am guilty of this just as much as anyone is, right? But it's human nature to compare ourselves to other people, right? To 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 look at someone else's experience and say, "Man, I've never been through anything like they have. I I shouldn't I shouldn't have any issues. You know, I just need to suck it up and move forward, right?" And and, and I, I've gotten that a lot, right? And, and I'm really careful about telling this story in, in, in the way that I do because, you know, for years, man, I'd, I'd have people 
like after a talk, the very first thing they would they would start their sentence with as they were talking to me, they'd say, you know, Josh, I've never been through anything like what you've been through, but dot, dot, dot. And then they'd share their story. And I, I know they were trying to be humble, right? And I respect that. But honestly, man, that is the last reaction that I want, right? Because it, it, it it's it's Trauma is such an internal thing. The transformative process that goes with it is such an internal thing. From the moment we open our eyes as babies, our our eyes and our minds are taking in as much data as a full-blown internet connection, right? And, and the way that we are shaped um, growing up by our parents, right, the experiences we have in high school, the experiences that we have through our lives, they all build upon one another. Right. And, and, and certainly many of those things are traumatic growing up. Right. They shape us. And, and, and some of that forges resilience and makes us stronger. Right. But it also impacts how we respond to events in the present moment. You know, there is a cumulative effect of trauma. Right. And especially in the first responder professions and whatnot, you know, you are seeing trauma every single day in, in just about every form you can think of. Right. If, if we move forward with our lives without integrating those previous experiences, without resolving them, it's almost like trying to build a house on a cracked foundation. You know, we, 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 we continue to build on that house. We continue to drive forward, but we don't necessarily know what type of event or situation is going to cause it to collapse one day, even if it's something that seems insignificant on the surface. Right. So I've seen many military folks, many first responders, many people from every walk of life who get triggered by an event that seems small. You know, and they ask themselves, man, I've been through so much worse than this. Why is this causing me to collapse? There must be something wrong with me. Well, there's not anything wrong with you. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you. Your body is responding um, to a post trauma state. Right. There, there, there's always more. Uh, to how we react or respond to the present situation than, than, than what's in the present moment, right? Much more behind it, right? And, and the idea is to do that, that forensic investigation of your past, not to make excuses, not to blame, not to do anything, right? But to understand, right? To understand so that we can better integrate it into our lives and, and, and continue to perform better as we move forward, right? Absolutely. And trauma comes in so many ways. A little bit about my history and how I got involved in the mental health world and learning about trauma and experiences that people go through that realistically could change the way they view life and more importantly, the way they view themselves. Um, I was always a ta tactical cop. I was always about SWAT training um, and I decided to make a switch over to being a hostage negotiator. And the reason I did that was because I wanted to get a feel for the other side, right? For the communication, human interaction and human communication. And I have learned so much about mental health and so much about communicating between one person and another that I gotta tell you has been absolutely mind boggling. And the fact that you did this book not just for people that have a military background, but for anyone that's going through some type of difficult experience or trauma in their life. And, you know, the fact that 
you took many, many hours to make sure that this book was 100% legit. You know, I want to know, talk to me about what it took to write this book. Talk to me about how you made it happen. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and, and you're right on, right on point across the board there, man. You know, some of the some of those challenging experiences I've had to navigate had nothing to do with combat. Nothing. You know, it was it was relationships. It was financial distress. It was the things that you and I experience in everyday life, and anyone does. Um, going into this book was really hard. Um, it, it, I, I had to to do this right. Like I, I had to dive into the deepest, darkest corners of my soul to, to, to first recognize uh, the, the truth, right? Recognize what really the root cause was. And, and you know, had I stopped there, though, then it, it would have really just been this personal journey, right? What was very difficult is, is to process that stuff at such depth and length that um, we, we could project a message that uh, could be internalized by other people, right? That, and and the, the biggest advice I'd give to anyone reading this book is look at it through your own lens, right? Look at how th- kind of this journey applies to your own life, right? And doing, doing that and getting it to that point was just, that was extremely hard. You know, I, I, I there, there'd be weeks weeks on end that I'd be pacing around the floor of my apartment, you know, uh, to kick out a single paragraph. Um, There are many revisions of this manuscript were done that I've thrown in the trash and and I've rewritten it over and over and over and over again. uh, Because to, to, you know, it's almost like if, if you're taking a case to court, right? you're you're thinking about every possible scenario that could happen in court right every report you're writing is 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 designed to um you 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 have to display almost such a a high degree of empathy to your potential audience right that that i i had to think how's a first responder going to think when they read this how's a woman who is raped going to respond when they read this you know, um, how is my West Point classmate going to respond? You know, so, so it, it's just thinking about that in every walk of life and, and somehow trying to to create this message that that is welcoming and gives people permission to do that uh, was tricky. <laughs> you know, it was, it was something that a lot of people said can't be done. You know, they're like, Josh, you got to you got to narrow down your audience. You know, just do this just for military. Just do it for law enforcement. And I was like, now. You know, that's that I could. Right. But trauma is universal. And I think we've got a universal message here. That's the feedback that I'm getting right now across the board. I was nervous as hell getting this out the door. Right. Because um, you, you just never know till it goes out to the world. Um, but I could be more humbled by the feedback we're getting across the board from every walk of life. You know, that is awesome, brother. That is awesome. And, you know, the fact that you took your time. You really worked your ass off getting this out there. 
And more importantly, you're the type of individual that you're not doing this for money because I can hear it in your voice and I know you. You're doing it because you really want to go out there and make a difference and you want to change the paradigm and you want to help others. That's what warriors are all about. That is what warriors are all about in my book. And my friend, you're absolutely one of them. Uh, you nailed it, brother, and, and likewise, absolutely feel the same about you and everything that you're doing. I appreciate it, man. Hey, tell our listeners again the name of the book, how they can reach you, how they can get a hold of this book. I'm going to post this all, you know, all the links on on the show notes and, of course, um, on the website and all that. So, but go ahead and take your time and do this. Yeah. So the the book is called The Beauty of a Darker Soul. Uh, it's available on Amazon right now, uh, both paperback and Kindle, uh, or you can go to darkersouls.com uh, and find links to it there as well. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link to your books, to darkersouls.com and to Amazon on our show notes for our listeners uh, so they can go grab up your book. And like always, Josh, man, it is absolutely an honor to have you on. I wish the show can go on for two, three hours or so because we can sit here and talk you bring the emotion, you bring the knowledge, and you bring, most importantly, man, your heart into everything that we talk about here. And I love that about you. All right, my brother? Well, anytime, brother. And, you know, it's going to take all of us to change this paradigm. And, uh, you know, hopefully this book is a platform for people to do that. And if it's, if it's sparking conversations like this, then that's the first step. That's the win. Agreed, my brother. You stay safe out there, and we'll talk soon. All right, brother. Sounds great. Take care of yourself. There you have it. What a great conversation with Josh Mance. This guy is on a mission to change the paradigm, and he's doing it through his new book, The Beauty of a Darker Soul. Go buy it at Amazon or order it through his website, darkersouls.com. But get it. Believe me, it's a great read. All right. Don't forget to follow us at Man of War with two R's on Instagram, our new account. Show us some love. Last but not least, don't forget to stop by the Online Warrior Development Academy where hundreds of warrior-minded men just like yourself are transforming themselves into modern-day warriors. They are strengthening their mindset, their courage, and their confidence. Forgingawarrior.com. Until next time, remember your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.